Divine Mercy Radio is a listener-supported radio station. This program and others like it are made possible by you. If you enjoy the content, please click the Donate button and support us. Thank you. The program is called Treasures of Faith. I am Bill Gent, and I'll be with you for the next hour. And this is the first Friday of our Lenten season for 2018. And uh, I'm joined in the studio by Father Emmanuel, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Parish in Palm Bay. And uh, we're looking forward to uh, an hour where we address the subject of apologetics. This is Apologetics Friday. And so we have some questions that we're going to be posing to Father Emmanuel. I think Father Jeremiah may be joining us a little later. Well, you're listening to Treasures of Faith, and uh, I'm joined in the studio today by Father Emmanuel. Many of our listeners may, may be familiar with Father Emmanuel. He features a weekly program here on Divine Mercy Radio where he tackles issues related to the new evangelization and new Catholic apologetics. And, of course, this is all toward rebuilding Christ's church by reminding uh, people of the importance of God's holy word. Uh, For those of you who are unfamiliar with Father Emmanuel, he's from Nigeria in West Africa. He's the second in the line of ten children, and he was ordained a priest in 1994. He earned a master's degree in theology with specialization in catechetics from Franciscan University in Steubenville, Ohio, and he has served in several parishes parishes here in the Diocese of Orlando since 2004. And as I mentioned at the opening of the program, he is the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Catholic Church in Palm Bay. Well, Father Emmanuel, we've got some questions here that have been posed for our program called Apologetics Friday. And I want to begin with something that I just became aware of uh, this morning And I think this is in reaction to the horrific uh, school shooting that took place in southern Florida. And uh, it's uh, a question that is uh, being tossed around on Twitter. And it basically says this, thoughts and prayers do nothing. Kind of, I kind of understand, Father, why people might say that, because I think They've heard so often that people say, well, I'll pray about that, or our thoughts are with you when you have the sheriff and all of these law enforcement officials. I mean, what are they going to say? And I understand that, but people are beginning to ask, what are we going to do about these things? And certainly we're not here to solve that question. But what's your response, Father, to thoughts and prayers do nothing? First of all, I want to begin, beloved listeners, to say it's really a tragic incident, a tragedy, young people losing their lives in such a horrendous way, awful way. People go to school to go and learn, to go and study, to advance their lives for the good of their families, their society, and the world at large not to be shot, not to begin, not to get killed. So it's a tragedy. So I would also say my thoughts and prayers go to the families of the victims. And um, I will even request um, that we take a moment of silence to honor the victims who lost their lives. Eternal rest grant unto them, O Lord, and let perpetual light shine upon them. May their souls and those of the faithful departed through the mercy of God rest in peace. Amen. Amen. Beloved, we pray that God will console the families who lost loved ones. And also we pray for recovery for those who were injured, who were hurt through the tragic incidents. May God help all of you to recover speedily. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 In that respect, uh, the thoughts and prayers, uh, uh, as uh, was uh, stated on Twitter, uh, do nothing, I think is just a reaction 
to the political situation in the country in terms of shooting incidents. You see, while I was uh, coming here, I didn't know this question would be posed to me. Last night, watching the television, I think I was uh, watching um, uh, um, CNN, and I saw uh, on uh, the screen mass shootings in the United States, 21 since Columbine. Since April 1999, 21. Just look at this, 21. And it's uh, all over the country, Father. This is not all uh, over specific the country. to just Florida. All over the country. So it's in that respect that uh, the line, thoughts and prayers do nothing. Uh, it's not really speaking that prayers and thoughts do nothing. It's only a statement I would say, uh, used as an allusion to saying we need gun control. That's how I will see that statement. We need gun control. Not, so it's not about really prayers or thoughts of uh, sympathy or, or empathy or prayers. No, it's basically, I would say, the person who said it was making an allusion to the need for gun control, and I won't get into that subject. I'm going to stay out of that debate. So, but I will address only the fact of prayers, that prayers are active. When mm -hmm. we pray, we are heard. So that's the part I will address. Matthew 7, verse 7, the Lord Jesus says, Ask, and you shall receive. Seek, and you shall find, knock, and the door will be opened unto you. So prayers work. And as a priest uh, uh, ordained in 1994, even prior to my ordination, I was involved in ministry during my formation days, formation years in the seminary, and I was involved in outreaches to different areas, hospitals, clinics, the markets, um, uh, home visitations. So I was involved in all of them. Even preaching in a bus, I have done all of them. And we pray, and I see dramatic events happen. You see, when you do like life in the spirit seminar, or life in the spirit retreat, and you invoke the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, we need you. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. You see dramatic things happen. Mm. And you come mm. to know that these are not just uh, storytelling. These are real. God is real. The power of God is real. The Spirit of God is real. So prayers do something. Prayers do something. So we have God in our thoughts, God in our minds, God in our feelings, God in our emotions, and God is active. That's the point. So, so I wouldn't go into the political uh, uh, background to the statement, but just to defend that prayers do something. Remember, for instance, Someone called Cornelius in Acts of the Apostles. Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman centurion. He had been praying and praying and praying that God will show him proper understanding. And one day, as he prayed, an angel appeared to him and told him, Your thoughts and prayers. And almsgiving have ascended as a memorial before God. Acts chapter 10, verse 4. Cornelius, a Roman, saw an angel. He had been praying and giving alms. And now an angel appeared and told Cornelius, a Roman, 
sent people to Joppa to a man called Peter, someone he had never met, never encountered. Meanwhile, Peter, also a prayerful man, one whose thoughts, minds, desires are always with God, received a vision of many creeping things, snakes and creatures, lowered down in a basket. In that vision, he was told, kill and eat. And he said, I don't eat anything common or unclean. And the Lord revealed to Peter, what I have made clean, you cannot call common or unclean. The background of this is that the Jews were circumcised people. The Romans were uncircumcised. So Peter wouldn't have opened up to receiving a Roman. Be nice to a Roman because as a Jew, he would have considered a Roman person unclean. So how is or how was our friend Cornelius going to send people to invite a Jew to his house? So God already prepared the way. By giving Peter a vision, what I have made clean, you cannot call common or unclean. Soon afterwards, knock at the door. People have come from this Roman, telling Peter this cock and bull story, so to speak. That one Roman called Cornelius said he had a vision that God said you should come to the house of a Roman. Are you kidding me? But through the vision Peter received, he was able to process what God was telling him to do. See, that's the power of prayer. And was able to respond according to the will of God, not using the Jewish stereotype or bias against this person. And he was received in the house of the uncircumcised. And while he was preaching to them, Praying with them, the Holy Spirit came down. And people spoke all the languages. Wow. It's a miracle. Speaking in tongues. Wow. So prayers work. So my job is to defend that our thoughts and prayers to God work. Not to address the political underpinnings of the statement. So thoughts and prayers work. And So those people were baptized and received into the Christian fold. And finally, we know how Jesus worked in this life. All the miracles he performed are indisputable in any historical record. No historical record disputed that Jesus lived and did what Scripture said he did. None. No book written about 2,000 years ago ever claimed that Jesus did not multiply bread, that Jesus did not heal lepers, did not raise the dead. No book. So our modern mind cannot make us denigrate the past, which we have no clue about. People who lived at the time the scriptures were written at the time Jesus walked on this planet. People who lived at the time did not dispute it. How can we now come 2,000 years later and said, no, it was a myth? <laughs> it doesn't make sense. The Bible was written about 2,000 years ago when people could have disputed it. And there is no record of anyone claiming that it didn't happen. For instance, if we write today that the moon fell from the sky and landed in Melbourne Beach, and we write a book and publish, many will dispute it. Today, when did the moon fall? Just like we see all the UFO issues, UFO. You see, some will say we saw something, some will dispute it. But regarding the fact of Scripture, 
The fact that Jesus performed signs, Jesus prayed, Jesus had everyone in mind, and Jesus worked for salvation, there is not a single book disputing these from ancient times. May God bless you. Yeah, Father Emmanuel has been responding to this message that's been really rapidly uh, moving around Twitter today in response to the horrific events that took place in South Florida. Thoughts and prayers do nothing. And, Father, I was just thinking about this. This seems to be a response uh, to uh, those who somehow want to blame God for these kinds of events. You know, it's amazing that we always want to put God on trial whenever something goes wrong, and we're pretty quick to convict him and make him guilty for whatever it is has transpired in our culture. And and yet, when we think about uh, people talking about thoughts and prayers in this way, you know, one of the things I thought about, Father, is that what these horrific events do is, regardless of your political stance, these things draw us together. And people begin to look at these kinds of events. They see the tragedy for what it is. And hopefully, even though we live within a culture of death, we do want to celebrate life. We do see that uh, death, obviously, is something that we do not want to celebrate. We know it's a reality. And, of course, we all know we're all sinners, so death is in our future. But we also have a hope, and that hope is in Jesus Christ. Amen. And I thought about how, you know, if we are least being drawn together in our thoughts, and if we are at least choosing to offer prayers, at least that makes God more aware to us. Maybe, maybe we're kind of waking up and looking up and asking God because it's obvious that we seem to be incapable of solving these kinds of problems. I guess if one thing prayer will do is it will hopefully point us in the right direction. Excellent. That is it. Prayer is our hope. Prayer. You see, the word of God is true. Granted, as Bill mentioned, people could get mad at God and begin to lay the blames on God. But beloved, no. God is not responsible for human actions. You see, God knows everything. God has absolute knowledge. Even before this person was made, God knew everything about the person. But God's foreknowledge is not the cause of our human actions. When God made Adam and made Eve, they beget Cain and Abel. God knew everything about Cain, what he would be. God knew. But that God knew doesn't mean God made Cain a murderer. No. Just like Jesus Christ selected 12 disciples, Jesus in no way cursed someone to betray him. Does it make sense? So the point is that God's foreknowledge is not a cause of human action. Let me explain the nature of God's foreknowledge. You see, I mentioned about visions of Cornelius and the visions of Peter some moments ago. I too have received visions in my priestly life. God giving me premonition of what something would have been or what something would be, what would happen. God giving me premonition. That premonition it's not the reason it happened. That's the point I'm making. So that God knows everything beforehand. It's not a reason it happened. So that you have a vision that there will be eclipse of the sun next week. It's not a reason it happened. 
You only have the grace of knowing beforehand. That's all. But God respects free will. Everyone is responsible for his or her actions. God respects human free will. You see, some would have said, why does God respect free will? Okay, how many of you would have been happy to be like a robot? <laughs> That's the alternative. How many would like to be like a robot? You wouldn't know who you are. You wouldn't know what to do. You just act by instinct. No. God made us in the best possible way and gave us freedom to be loving, to be kind, to be compassionate, to be merciful, to be nice. But if we choose the other option, God is not responsible. And no one should blame God. You see, we can also mention the fact of the devil. If you must blame anyone, blame the devil. <laughs> blame the devil. Don't blame God. That's misplaced aggression. You see, people choose to cooperate with God by being nice people. Millions of people are nice, kind, loving people. But there are those few who want to choose the wrong direction, who want to follow the way of Satan. God cannot be responsible. Rather, blame the devil. You see, in Scripture, it is the devil that is called the tempter, not God. The devil is called the tempter and the deceiver, not God. So we don't put God in context and blame God unjustly. That's the point I'm making, beloved listeners. So it's the devil you can blame. The devil tempted Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. God already told them what to do. God told them, you may eat of all the trees, but this particular tree, don't eat, don't touch, or you will die. Can you see that? And the devil came and said, did God really say? Did God really say? So the devil is a deceiver. And Adam and Eve compromised. And that was how sin entered the world. God did not create sin. And dear listeners, God did not create death. Dear listeners, God did not create sin. God did not create death. So it's not to God's pleasure that there is sadness and sorrow. That killing is not God's will. It's not from God. So we can't blame God. God's commandment is, Thou shall not kill. So, so if you're on the side of God, we choose life. We choose life. As Jesus says in John 10 verse 10, I come that they may have life and have it in abundance. And even the full line says, the thief, the devil, comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. So see, killing, stealing, destroying is not from God. That's from the thief, the devil. Then God's own anger, I come that they may have life and have it in abundance. Hallelujah. Choose God. Choose life. Choose the way of prayer. Don't blame God for misfortunes. Blame the thief. Blame the devil. Blame Satan, not God. May God bless you. You're listening to Treasures of Faith, and I am in the studio today with Father, Father Emmanuel, the pastor of Our Lady of Grace Catholic Church in Palm Bay. And this is Apologetics Friday, and Father Emmanuel has been responding to a question we received regarding a message that's really moving around Twitter today regarding the horrific event that took place in South Florida 
And the Twitter comment is about how thoughts and prayers do nothing. And, of course, what we are discovering, along with Father Emmanuel, is that, yes, there are things that we probably need to be doing to help avoid these kinds of tragedies, but in no way should we underestimate the power of prayer and the power of people being drawn together uh, with their thoughts and prayers to decide that, yes, we want to invite God into this horrific situation. And, you know, Father, we often, we want to blame God, as I mentioned before, but I think where we need to look for God is in the aftermath of a tragedy. That's sometimes where we'll see him much more clearly. Well, we're going to take a break here. Uh, You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio. This is Treasures of Faith, and we'll be back in just a couple of minutes. Stick with us. Welcome back to Treasures of Faith. This is Bill Gent, and I'm in the studio today with Father Emmanuel. It's Friday, and we have uh, decided to dedicate our Fridays at this hour to apologetics. And uh, so Father Emmanuel has been with me for the last half hour, and we've got some questions here, Father, I thought we could address. We're in the season of Lent, and uh, I hope that our listeners are excited and challenged by this liturgical season and hoping that they are uh, making their plans or making a conscious decision to really grow closer to Jesus Christ and to really maybe uh, get more serious about prayer and fasting and almsgiving. And, And I think we see these as somehow connected, and we can talk about that. But, Father, one of the questions that's been posed to us Uh, is regarding the subject of ashes. And so uh, one of our listeners uh, quoted that uh, they were driving by a non-Catholic church, and they were also offering ashes on Ash Wednesday. And the question was posed, are their ashes the same as the ones that you would receive in a Catholic church? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's the same. And you see, beloved listeners, that's a spiritual breakthrough. That's a pastoral breakthrough. You see, we are on the path to realizing ecumenism, Christian unity. You see, many of our separated brethren, particularly the evangelicals, do not believe in signs and symbols in a very eminent theological way. And they see you use a scapula, they complain. They see you use holy water, they look at it somehow, denigrating it, thinking it's fetish. Please, when you see them use ashes, give glory to God that they are coming to greater understanding. By the time we address and by the time they embrace the totality of all the things they have been criticizing, they will have no option than to become Catholic Christians or at least come into full communion with the Catholic Church. And the will of Jesus for the church will then be realized. There shall be one fold and one shepherd, John 10, 16. So it's the same ashes. Yes, why do we use ashes? That's the question. Why do we use ashes? That's how we understand that we are coming to greater understanding. Genesis chapter 18, verse 27. Abraham said, Behold, I have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. Meaning, I am dust and ashes. During Ash Wednesday, when we impose the ash upon your forehead, we make the statement or the prayer. Remember, you are dust, and unto dust you shall return. 
That's basically what Abraham stated. Genesis 18:27. I am but dust and ashes. Remember Genesis chapter 2, verse 7? God formed man from dust. And God breathed into man the breath of life. And man became a living being. We are from dust. That is why the church does not dispute evolution. The theory of evolution. But in a proper context, that evolution is God's made. It's not on its own. No. Evolution is God's own instrument of creation. God fashioned evolution. Scripture says, let living things appear according to their kind. Simply put, let living things evolve according to their kind. So God is the origin of all that is. There is nothing like Big Bang that happened on its own. If there is Big Bang, God caused the Big Bang. So in the same way, we are fashioned from dust. God made you and I. So we should be humble. That's the point. Mm. So when we use ashes, when Abraham said, I am but dust and ashes, he was speaking humbly. Meaning, if you die, you are going to return to ashes. Your material body will decompose. So if you are proud and arrogant, spiteful, disgusting, angry, wicked, hateful, and disobedient to God. By the time you return to ashes, who will bring you back to life? Who will raise you up again? That is why we say we are dust and ashes. So during Lent, we are humbling ourselves. We are remembering, like Abraham said, I am dust and ashes. Lord, help me to be humble. Forgive my sin. Show me your mercy. Show me compassion. Help me not to be lost. I bow before you. That's why we use ashes. And you see, it continues in the whole of Scripture. For instance, look at Job. Let me invite Bill James to read Job 42, verse 8. Job 42. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. Amen. That is why we use dust and ashes for repentance during the Lenten season. Can you see that, beloved listeners? So it's not just something we do arbitrarily. No. Let us also invite him to please read Matthew's Gospel eleven twenty one. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! For if the mighty works done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Amen! Beloved listeners, that is the line of Scripture. Who was speaking in this context? Who was saying, Woe to you, Bethsaida! Woe to you, Chorazin. Who was speaking? Pope John Paul II? No way. He wasn't there when scripture was written. <laughs> Pope Francis? No way. Who was speaking? St. Augustine of Hippo? No. <laughs> Thomas Aquinas? No. Oh, I know. I guess Vatican II was speaking. No. Matthew eleven twenty one. Is that the catechism of the Catholic Church? I don't think so. That is Jesus speaking, dear listeners. Mm. Jesus was speaking. Jesus recognizes and endorses the use of ashes for repentance. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. If the mighty deeds done in you had been done in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. We are going to read two more passages. Daniel chapter 9 verse 3 and Jonah 
chapter 3, verse 6, two more passages to show that there was a trajectory or there was a background of the use of ashes as a mark of repentance. Please, Daniel 9, verse 3. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and supplication with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. Can you see that, dear listeners? That's what we do. That's how we repent. Please, the other one, Jonah 3, verse 6. And these were Gentiles in Jonah 3. Then tidings reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, and covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes. Amen! Beloved listeners, you see, from time immemorial, from the beginning of the church, the church has always observed everything correctly. It only happens or happened that somehow some people missed their way and confusion came and divisions took place. We need to unite the church according to the will of God. So when you see uh, separated brethren, Protestant brothers and sisters, and evangelical brothers and sisters now embracing with us the fullness of Catholicity, we thank God. It means Jesus is answering our prayers. It means there is growth, development in understanding among them. And as they grow and embrace more and more of the treasures of our faith, full communion will be closer to us before we know it. To God be the glory. So may God help everyone to observe Ash Wednesday going forward. That people will not be confused anymore saying by faith alone, by faith alone. You don't need ashes. Faith alone, faith alone. The Bible never says faith alone. Never. Jesus is faith himself. Jesus, faith himself, said, Woe to you, Corazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. You ought to have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Can you imagine that? Remember Jesus healing a blind person? Christ could say, open your eyes, and the eyes of the blind man would open. But Jesus, who is faith himself, made a spittle, mixed with dust, formed a paste, and smeared it on the blind man's eyes, and told him, go and wash. Dear listeners, so when we use signs and symbols, every Christian should understand that's how Jesus did it. Remember, when we talk about the Eucharist, the body and blood of Jesus, Christ could have said, faith alone, faith alone, eat my body in spirit, claim it, eat it, eat it, yes, drink my blood in spirit, drink it. Imagine yourself drinking my blood. Imagine it dripping into your mouth. Oh, swallow it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. No, that's not what he did. He took physical bread, unleavened bread. He blessed it. He broke it and gave to them. This is my body. He took physical chalice, physical wine, blessed it and gave to them. And said, this chalice, which is poured out for you and for many, is the new covenant in my blood. So, beloved listeners, as you can see, faith and works, word and sacrament, that's what Jesus did. So, Ash Wednesday, we don't just say, I believe, I repent, I believe. No, we also sacramentally show our belief. And show our repentance, accepting ashes as Jesus himself recognized and endorsed. May God bless you. You know, Father, uh, having returned to the church some 18 years ago, I recall on my way back to the church, what really impressed me 
was that our Catholic faith appeals to every one of our senses. And, you know, having been kind of a Bible alone guy, you know, some of these things we completely missed in their significance and in their ability to help us, you know, to be out there living our faith in not only a tangible but a very visible way. And, you know, I'm always blessed to see on Ash Wednesday if you go out into the community and you begin to see people with ashes on their forehead. You know, some people will come up to you and say, you know what, Father, you got a little something on your forehead there. And some people think you forgot to wash or take a shower. But in reality, we have an instant opportunity to talk about our faith. And, you know, sometimes, you know, our Catholic people especially are just not very open about living their faith. They might wear a cross or what have you. But in reality, Father, we've got to get out there. If we're really going to engage in the new evangelization, we have to have a willingness to live our faith in a more visible way. And I think Ash Wednesday affords us that opportunity. Yes, absolutely. I can't agree anymore. Beloved listeners, you see, after the Ash Wednesday celebration in the church, after everyone received ashes, and they were all seated, from my vantage position inside the church, I looked at everyone. I said, wow, it looks like heaven. Hmm. It looks like heaven. I couldn't help but reading from Scripture, just the insights that came to me as I beheld the people of God. I'm going to invite my brother to please read Revelation 22, 4 to 5. Revelation 22, 4 to 5. They shall see his face and his name shall be on their foreheads, and night shall be no more. They need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Amen. So, having the ashes of the mark of humility, the mark of repentance on their foreheads, just the name of God, so to speak, inscribed on their foreheads. Because Jesus says, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Meaning, humility is the way of submission to God. So, like Bill mentioned, it's absolutely important that our Catholic Christians live their faith. That the ashes is not just a mere symbol but true mark of humility, true mark of repentance, submission, yielding to God, and of being a true disciple, witnessing to your faith. As Jesus said, let your light, your light of love, your light of humility, your light of obedience to God, your light of mercy, your light of forgiveness, let it shine before others that seeing your good works, they will give glory to your Father in heaven. That's the point, beloved listeners. So let your light of humility shine out, your light of Christian poverty. Meaning, simply put, your light of the virtues of Jesus. The virtues we see on the cross. When we sign you with ash on your forehead, with the sign of the cross, you should focus on the cross of Jesus. On the cross of Jesus, you see obedience. He was obedient to the Father, even unto death. On the cross of Jesus, you see humility. This is God's only beloved Son the Prince of Glory, the second person of the Blessed Trinity, can die like this, an infamous death, like a criminal, 
Can you see? That is humility. Then, the light of forgiveness to those who tortured him, who hurt him, who crucified him. He prayed, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they are doing. Can you see that? The light of patience. Three hours of agony. He remained there. Helplessly. People were mocking him. Calling him names. He had power to tell them, all of you become blind. Or all of you turn to ashes. He did not do it. Patience with the ignorant. The light of love. In his own words, greater love than this has no one than to lay down your life for your friends. Amen, beloved listener. Amen. That's the light that Jesus says shine out before others. The light of obedience, humility, patience, poverty, forgiveness, love. Let that light shine up. For others to see that they may give glory to your Father in heaven. Can you see the point, beloved listeners? So it's very, very important that we all strive to be who we say we are. We don't want God's name to be blasphemed because of you and I. We are Christians. We want to live as one. Replicas of Jesus. Who said to you and I, you shall be my witnesses? Acts chapter 1 verse 8. May God bless you. You know, Father, you're talking about humility. And when we think about how Jesus Christ is the greatest example of humility— Every Lenten season, we have an opportunity then uh, to really embrace humility because if we do not in some way demonstrate humility, how can we ever grow closer to our Savior? How can we ever begin to recognize perhaps those areas where we have failed God, where we have sinned, and take responsibility for it if we continue in our pride? And it's almost as if, Father, The wisdom of the church is such that it gives us this opportunity every year to be confronted by that question. Yes, yes, beloved listeners. You see, many of us, without knowing it, have inclination to pride. Why does that happen? We have wrong models. We profess Jesus, but often in a very cultural way, cultural Christianity, or social way, ceremonial Christianity. But we don't don't contemplate the one we profess. We don't ponder the one we profess. Unless you focus on Jesus, his whole life, especially his passion, death, and resurrection, you may not be able to be an exemplar, a model of who Jesus is, what he represents. You see, the Blessed Virgin Mary, a model of contemplation, Christian contemplation. From the moment Jesus was born, I would even dare to say, from the moment of his conception, from the time of the Annunciation, and she was conceived by the Holy Spirit, Mary pondered Jesus, pondered what was within her, pondered the word of God, and she was the first to behold the face of the Messiah and to ponder that face and continued, as Scripture says, Luke's Gospel, chapter 2, verse 19, Mary 
kept these things in our heart and pondered them. So remember Jesus, how he washed the apostles' feet. Ponder it. See your Lord washing feet. Remember how Jesus allowed himself to be arrested, to be chained, ponder that humility. To be scourged, bound to a pillar, ponder the humility. If you were Jesus, if you had been in his position and you had power over life and death, imagine you as you, would you be that humble? Would you have been that humble? So we have real room for growth in our spirituality. To grow and become more and more like the one we represent, like Jesus. So we pray the good Lord that we may succeed in uh, succeed on the path of humility. Because Jesus says, if you want to follow me, renounce yourself. That's humility. Self-renunciation. Give up your ego and follow me. Very, very important. That if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. God bless you. Father Emmanuel, you have readily challenged us on this first Friday of Lent. And uh, certainly as you have addressed a couple of these questions that have been given us, uh, we're so very grateful for you joining us in the studio this morning and would like to ask you, Father, if you could leave us with a blessing. May Almighty God bless and keep you. May he let his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May he give you happiness and peace in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father. You've been listening to Treasures of Faith and we'll be back with you on Monday at this hour. We have uh, Deacon Chris Meehan, and we have Tony and Debbie Verzi will be our guests. I will be joined by Carolyn Dean in the studio, and we're looking forward to being with you again. Hope that you'll have a wonderful weekend, and uh, may God bless and have a wonderful day.